Welcome back to the Wellness Wonderland Radio, everyone. This is Katie, and today I have with me my glowing guest on the show. I could not be more thrilled and honored to have my idol and soul sister, Latham Thomas. Latham is the genius behind the Mama Glow Empire, author of Mama Glow, a must-read for anyone who is pregnant, might be pregnant someday, been pregnant in the past, knows somebody who might be pregnant, really anyone on earth. It's an amazing, <laughs> amazing book, um, which can really benefit um, everybody. And every time I hear an interview with her, I think it would be so cool to chat with her and be her friend. Um, she just seems so down to earth and so authentic. And for some reason, I was just telling her before we started recording, I feel so connected with her for some reason. So this is a huge treat to have her in Wonderland today. So thank you so much for stopping by Wonderland, Latham. Thank you for having me. Amazing. Yay. Okay. Well, let's jump right in. Um, and you live in your own wellness Wonderland, I would definitely say. So how did it you get there and kind of, even though there really is no there, but if you could just kind of give us a little bit um, of your journey to holistic health and kind of how it began. Have you always been passionate about health or was there um, a big turning point for you? Well, that's a great question. Um, you know, I'm from California and um, in Cali, there's sort of this interesting um kind of way of living where everybody that lives there is immersed in this um, dynamic between um, the landscape being so um, integral in our, um, in our environment and also the urban, you know, landscape. And so I, although I lived in a city, I was able to um, see life cycles sort of unfold always. And so like, you know, watching caterpillars, pillars and then them, you know, blossoming into butterflies and watching, you know, plants that would, um, you know, really root themselves in the soil and then, you know, um, end up flowering and then fruiting. And then we would pick that fruit and eat it. And I just remember being exposed to sort of this natural element always, but very much um, being a part of a, a city sort of upbringing, urban upbringing. And um, it was because of, I think, the way that um, and the place that I grew up where I was able to see all these life cycles unfold that I really took interest in plant sciences, plant systems. I also studied with a master herbalist at a young age. And so she taught me a lot about plants and I became really enthralled with the sort of magic of living things, um, particularly plants and, and how they uh, lend their power to us for, um, for us to be better. So you know, plants that heal and sustain and also um, help to rejuvenate us in different ways. And so um, that was really the rudiments for me. Like it was just some information and experiences that I kind of placed in my back pocket, um, you know, along a journey. And when I moved to New York City, I noticed that it was a wildly different uh, environment to be in. I had gone from California to Colorado for boarding school and being in the outdoors there and then to like a very urban, concrete, you know, jungle, as they call it, in New York City. 
And it's totally different here. There's not as many trees. Where there... dreams are made of. <laughs> exactly. There's not as many trees here. And it's not as, um, people aren't as connected to the environment here. And I knew that that was something that I wanted to help um, bring to people more, like this sense of um, grounding in your environment and being involved with nature even when you are in a place that's like devoid of it. So I, um, so that was sort of like the beginning. And then it really all came full circle once I became pregnant with my son that I started to see all these divine connections between sort of what I studied and was enthralled with, with the plant world and what was happening internally in my own body and how the life cycles that take place around us also take place through us. And so, um, you know, when you're connected to that experience and you trust it, just like we trust that the sun will come up every morning and that the moon will light up our night, um, you just don't think otherwise, you know, that that's truth. If you trust that there's truth in the cycles in the body and that they will play out in the way that they were um, designed to, then you could have this really beautiful experience. And that's what I had for my um, pregnancy and childbirth. And it was so incredible that it made me want to uh, dedicate my life's work to helping improve the quality of life for women during pregnancy in this sort of childbearing period. So that was really kind of how I got there. But I would definitely say the biggest sort of um, piece for it was that um, the light bulb really went off a uh, full blast when I became pregnant with my son, Fulano. Wow. Okay, cool. Well, first of all, I didn't know you were from California. You just seem so New York to me. That, ah, that's so funny. <laughs> um, that I didn't know that. But first of all, that, that was all just amazing. But I think going back, what came up for me when you were talking about um, – how when you became pregnant, this all really came to the center for you. And I think for me, I think there's so much fear. Like we trust some things. Like we trust that the sun, sun's going to come out and the moon's going to rise, which was so beautiful the way you said that. And there's so much trust there in that, in that part of it. But then I think at the same time, there's so much fear related to these cycles that we can't see. And um, I think that for me, what you demystify with your work with pregnancy and demystifying that when it can be such a scary thing for people, um, is kind of taking that fear away and letting that trust come in of it's going to be okay, just like it's okay when the sun goes away because you trust so much that the sun will rise again. And I think your work really helps people with that and helps demystify that fear, if that makes sense. Yeah, thank you. Um, but anyways, going, going back to that a little bit, when you grew up and you were first interested in plants, was health always part of your life growing up or was that something that you kind of built for yourself? Um, I would say that, you know, health has always been a uh, factor in our lifestyle. My 
mom's side of the family is very healthy. That's who I grew up with. And so my mom's really healthy. My grandparents are very healthy. Um, and I still, I mean, we're so super close to my grandparents. Um, when they even come to visit, they're like out in the city and on the streets all day and, you know, very um, active and, uh, and youthful. And so um, I definitely attribute that to lifestyle of being in a place where um, they've had low stress and, um, and also, you know, like eating fairly well. So I think that for me, um, growing up in a family where a lot of our uh, communing happens around food, um, like most families, that we, um, we've come together around really amazing dishes and um, most of which were healthy. I mean, there was definitely some, I think, you know, holidays where it's just not, but, mm-hmm. but most of, you know, our daily food that we would eat was really healthy. And my grandmother had stuff growing in her yard. And, um, and, uh, I remember also like, you know, there was other places where there was stuff growing and we could just go and pick it. And I wrote a cookbook when I was eight years old, um, based on foods that were growing. And so I had all these things that I would pick and, and then I would ask my grandmother to cook it for me. And so she would make soups and all kind of stuff based on, you know, what we would bring to her. And so I kind of, you know, that was my first sort of experience learning like, Oh my God, like I could do this. Like I could pick this out of the ground and then cook it and I could eat it because what you see, like when you're going to the grocery store is like, you know, soup comes out of a can or, you know what I mean? And so when I was little, I wasn't in the kitchen in the same way, like I was when I was a teenager. And so that's when I really got to see like, okay, this is, you know, biscuits from scratch or whatever it is. I was really getting immersed in that and we would always hang out in the kitchen. And so um, all of our, uh, communal, uh, events sort of revolved around that. And so it was always like a, a I think an, an aspect of like healthy living was sort of, you know, sprinkled in because we were like living in a place where there was incredible produce. And so that was always whatever was ripe and in season was always a part of, you know, what was on the dinner table. And even when we would go to my grandmother's house, you know, whatever was in season, she would have a pie for that. So if it was rhubarb or if it was stone fruits like mm. peaches and plums, that would be there. Or she would make jams and we would make sherbets and jellies and all kinds of things with her and pickles because she was really into cucumbers. And so then we would make pickles. And so all this stuff was really like, I just considered it to be normal. And so when I moved to New York and I saw that everybody didn't have this sort of you know, um, I guess consciousness around what they were eating or even preparing, I was, I felt like I was equipped with something, you know, like a little bit of a, um, a secret, you know, a secret, uh, I wouldn't say weapon, but like a, like a, like a nice little weapon of consciousness, a little tool, you know, that helped to prepare me because I could really cook well because I watched for so many years and the connection for me for food is medicine and food is healing um, really came when I started studying the herbs. And then I brought that into the kitchen. Um, but that came like, you know, later, like that was definitely like in my early teens when I started to see the connection there. That's really cool. And I just, I love that. Like I'm so into that right now. I mean, I just have a little basil plant outside, but that. Mm-hmm. 
picking your food and then taking it and creating something with it is, I don't think there's a better high, honestly. Maybe that's just because we're into wellness and herbs and all of this, and maybe other people have other stuff. But for me, like, that is where it's at. Like, I just think that is amazing. And I really can feel connected with the earth when I do that and really grounded. And I think the world feels like a wellness wonderland or really like, I think of Willy Wonka and I feel like God or the universe put all of this food that we're supposed to eat on the earth. And when I go to the farmer's market, and I don't know if you can relate to this, I'd love to know, but when I see all of this stuff that we were supposed to eat, I really think like since I find all these new vegetables and fruits that I've never had before, and I start thinking like, oh my gosh, like this really is like Willy Wonka. Like there's all, like it was candy there, but for me it's vegetables here, which sounds kind of silly, but mm -hmm. it's that like, wow, this, this is how we were meant to eat. This is our wonderland. We, we really do live in this Willy Wonka world. And I just think that's really cool. Um, I love that. Yeah. Is that something, and I loved your stories about cooking with your grandmother and growing up that way, and clearly that was important to you. So is that something that you have decided to share with your son? Yes, 100%. My son's been cooking since very little. Um, I even have a video of him making kale on the stove when he was probably about two years old and sitting on a high chair. Um, and stirring the pot on the stove. And I don't think that the, there was any burners on. We were just like letting him play. Aww. But, you know, letting him wash the vegetables and break up the vegetables or cut up pieces of fruit with like little, you know, little baby uh, cutlery. And, you know, helping I think yeah. is so important. And you can start kids at such an early age with um, an appropriate activity at the um, in kitchen prep. And um, you can also help them by bringing them to the grocery store with you as you make choices with food. And my biggest thing with him, and we shop in like Whole Foods and farmer's markets, and so we don't really have this issue. But, you know, if we go to places where we travel and they don't have what we're used to, shopping on the perimeter where like all the fresh things are and staying out of the aisles you know, you know, it keeps them focused on the things that are good for them. And we would go to the produce sections and pick out different colored foods or maybe, you know, teach him about um, numbers by saying, okay, like you're going to pick five purple things and then two orange things and, you know, like have him help me when he I was small. That. And that was our way. And then I would also have him cook. And so if he's playing a video game or reading a book or entertaining, it doesn't matter what he's doing. If I say I'm cooking, he's running into the kitchen to help. And it's his favorite thing to do. And he loves also watching this show, um, Rocco Despirito. Um, oh, yeah, I love him. My oh, my God. Him. My son is obsessed. So, <laughs> so is he, my mom. <laughs> it's so funny. He's obsessed by him. So he's... Um, the dinner he's, party one? I don't, I think it's like a show where he recreates junk foods. It's on a Saturday morning. So it comes on right after his cartoons. Aww. So he watches it right after cartoons and then he writes down these recipes and he's like, okay, mom, I want to make this and I want to make that. And it's so cute because um, he talks about like, oh, this person was eating like this and they were overweight and they learned how to make this healthier. And so he's really conscious of 
the fact that there's health disparities in our country and and even like in his classroom that there's some kids who who are struggling with health stuff as far as obesity and things like that and and um and always being conscientious about like you know fresh food and and making um really good choices and I definitely taught that early and I know that it plays out when he's not with me when he's with other people he's always choosing the best option and and only eats when he's hungry and then stops when he's full. Like, these are all things that, you know, were, were just, you know, like learned in the house. What an amazing way to grow up. Like that's, that's so wonderful. I, I want to come and watch Rocco with him and and cook with you guys. Right. (laughs) So much fun. You should definitely come. That sounds amazing. Um, well, so getting back to, well, speaking of your son, you've created since the birth of your son, you've created quite the niche audience and core audience for you. And, um, and I've heard in interviews before you talking about the importance of that and how that was really able to help you build your brand. But talking about now, um, how do you see your audience growing and expanding in the future? Great question. So, I mean, Mama Glow really was born out of the need and necessity for a, a lifestyle brand to address the uh, the changing, evolving needs of a, a, a prenatal woman, but also one who's urbane, who's fashionable, and who's also um, quite um, educated about her options and wants to just have the best experience ever. And so... Um, I see that that person, I mean, I was that person, right? And I saw that like our needs weren't being met. And then I see every day women walking down the street. I'm like, oh, there's Mama Glow. Like I see women who really embody the messaging. And um, really what it's about, it's, um, it's a lifestyle. It's a movement. It's not just about having a baby. It's about uh, birthing the best iteration of yourself, a business, a screenplay, a ballet, a book, whatever that is, but also yourself. Because we start, you know, like anything at the seed level, you know, there's a thought and that thought starts to become pervasive and it roots itself. And then you start to flesh it out. And all that process happens in the dark before it emerges as this um, the implementation of something, right, that you share with the world. And what I believe is that each of us has that rattling inside of us, right, at varying degrees. And, um, and so either we nurture it, we listen to the whispers, we nurture it, we allow it to come out full blast, and we don't dial it down for other people. We turn it up full blast, and that's really what the glow power is all about, is shining and and turning up the speakers really loudly so people can like hear that you know divine message that you have to share and lighting up the world with your uniqueness and so um mama glow is just like the beginning you know of it but what i see is the arc is really um you know just a, a general movement of owning your glow and owning this power that we have as women and men have it too god bless them and um, really owning this power that we have and reclaiming all aspects of ourselves the shadow parts that we don't really like or the parts that we've been told to be afraid of or um, to shun or that aren't good about ourselves and integrate them. Because every superhero 
has like a little weakness, right? And, but it has to be pulled into the fold. We have to pull all those aspects into ourselves and embrace them and celebrate them because that's what makes you different, unique, and yourself. And all those things that make you different and that are seeming to you as weaknesses could add to could act as really powerful, strong points to help catapult you through life. So whether it's through business or if it's through relationships or whatever it is that you're trying to do, um, we need to embrace these parts of ourselves. And so that's what we're about at Mama Glow and, and this whole movement, you know, about glow power, which my second book is about, is really for all women to help us take this journey, this creative journey into exploring ourselves on the deepest level and bringing forth this, um, this divine light that's inside and creating this portal for it to come out and shine for the world. That's where really the direction that we're headed is to pull all women in and together so that we can create that support. We can be beacons of light for each other and also for the world. Oh, that's amazing, especially because with women, there's so much give, give, give. And I think that's something I've really learned from you, especially through other things that I've read and listened from you, where you've talked a lot about empowering, asking for that help, but also empowering people to give that help because we get empowered by helping other people. And I think that that was really, I actually thought of that when you were talking about your son and having him help in the kitchen and you're actually empowering him by allowing him to help and allowing him to be in the kitchen. But it's the same thing for mothers and people um, asking those other glowing people in their lives to step in and help. And so it really does become this community of, of a, just a glowing community. And, and I think that that's, that's really, really awesome. Thank you. Um, but going off of that, um, and we talked about this a little bit, but I just want to mention too that the great thing that I really love about Mama Glow is that it's for whatever you're birthing. And I'm actually using it right now because I'm pregnant with, my mom is like freaking out as I say that, but I'm pregnant with a book right now. And, um, and I don't even know if I really told my, um, readers about this, but I'm super psyched about it. I was just at um, the Hay House Writers Workshop, and it, you actually inspired me to do it. I haven't told you this yet, but you have such this great niche audience with um, that transitional time where you're pregnant with a baby. And I actually got the idea for my book, which is um, going to be about the transitional time after college, where you're transitioning from being pretty much taken care of to really being on your own. And that can be a really funky time for people. And it was for me. So I just went through it. And just like the birth of your son inspired you to create what you created, I'm using my experience of that transition to be between college and whatever's next um, to write this book. So I'm using Mama Glow to birth my book. And um having that niche audience, I think is, is really, really great. So what advice do you have for people who are interested in something broad, like health or wellness or whatever it is, and they're trying to find their niche or stay focused on what they want to do? Do you have um, any advice for them? 
Yes, I think that you said a couple of things that are um, spot on. Um, a few words, you said niche, and you said focus. And um, you also said broad. So the thing about broad, um, doing something that's broad, like a broad topic, is that um, people think that it's a safety net, right? So, okay, I'm going to you know, be a wellness practitioner or a health or whatever, whatever it is that you're trying to be. And it's not specific enough for someone to identify whether or not they need it, right? Whether whether or not they need you. If they're in person with you and they get to experience you, it's a whole different, you know, ball game. But if they don't get to, and they're just looking at a card, a business card or a flyer or online, and they have to choose between you and maybe I don't know, 20,000 other <laughs> listings, right? Just, you know, for example. Then it's like, well, what makes you different, right? If you use the same language as someone else does or as everyone else does because you feel, well, it's safe and this is what people are interested in and I'll, I'll get more clients this way. The truth is you actually don't because when you try to, like, cast a wide net, you don't end up catching as much as if you did a more uh, narrow actual focus. And the thing is, like, say you're casting a net um, and you wanted to catch, I don't know, I'm not really good with fish metaphors or anything. I don't even eat them. But <laughs> say you were casting this net in the sea and you're like, I just want to catch crabs. I'm just going to cast a wide net. You're going to catch everything else but those and then you could say, oh, I know this particular area where there's tons of little crabs that go around. And you put a little tiny net there and you end up with a whole bunch of them, right? So it's really about knowing, I think, who you want to serve, right? Because if you cast a net, a wide one, you're going to get everything because there's no filter, right? And you get everything that you don't want to. Or you get nothing at all, how about? Because you don't know what you're looking for. So... I feel like when people are very specific, like I want a woman between the ages of 22 and 45 years old, uh, an income of whatever, um, in whatever city, you know, whatever it is that you're looking for, very specific, you know, and understanding what that person's needs are because you really get in the mind of the customer, then you're going to be able to find those people Rather, those people will find you because you'll have put out this magnetic um, sort of charge, right? You put this energy out that you're available for this type of experience, for this type of person. You become a magnet for that type of person, and so that's who you get. But you have to know who that type of person is first, right? So you have to be able to provide an immaculate service, right? But you have to know what the service is. And so I think that everyone gets really caught up with, okay, I'm out here, I'm doing this thing, I'm a practitioner, and then they get frustrated because it doesn't pick up right away. Well, it doesn't pick up right away for a couple of reasons. You're not in charge um, for how quickly things move, right? God is in charge of that. But what you are in charge of is making sure that you're being the most authentic and effective as possible with your message 
and your and who you reach in touch with that message is who will come. So your job is to really focus on um, gathering as much information as possible about your target audience and creating that target audience, and then at designing programs, materials, products, services to feed to that market, right? For their concerns, right? And that's what's going to really allow you to hone your skills. It'll teach you a ton about, um, you know, the market. It'll give you adequate market research, but it'll also allow you to sort of uh, ascend as a person who is an expert in a particular space, right? There's tons of specialists in every single category that you can imagine in the world. There is a specialist for box jellyfish. There is a specialist, I mean, for everything, right? And if we didn't have those people, we wouldn't have the incredible insight and research and whatever it is for these particular focuses, so we need somebody to stand up and decide yeah. that they're going to focus on maternal health, whatever they're going to, you know, whatever it is, and be very particular on who they're reaching out to so that you can serve because there's always somebody that's underserved, right? And if you feel like you're connected with a particular audience, even if it feels it's not your responsibility to decide whether or not it's going to succeed, it's just your responsibility to move with the force within you that's telling you to go. And if you're getting these whispers all the time that's telling you, go, 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 you just need to go and check it out and see how it goes. And if it doesn't work out, you know, you just keep going. You just, you cannot decide based on, you know, only a couple months of doing something that it doesn't work and then jump to the next thing. This is another piece of what you spoke about focus. Um, A lot of practitioners and people who are out there that I've talked to will um, we'll focus on one thing for a couple months, maybe a year, get really frustrated, and then head to the next thing that feels very secure. The problem with that is that they're not impassioned with the next thing that they jump into. They just do it because they want a, cer- a certain level of security. And then the thing that they could have been building two, three, four, five years down the line would have been a business at that point, right? But they focus their energy someplace else because they feel like, well, I don't know if I can do it. As soon as you start doubting yourself and making up these excuses for why you can't do something, like you can't anymore, right? So the idea is to have single-pointed focus on whatever it is that you're looking to do and not only find supports, right, your sister circle, which we talk about in Mama Glow, to help you. So the sisters that you gather who are your cheerleaders and people who support you, who you can share ideas with, but also like you could have a little board of directors, almost how businesses have, you could have a personal board, right? Where there's people who are your elders in different aspects of whatever it is that you're looking to do. So if it's something in business, you have a couple people who, you know, maybe an entrepreneurial person, maybe somebody in finance, maybe somebody in, you know, marketing, different people who are like geniuses in these particular areas who can really teach you a lot. You need to have these people around you who believe in you, who can help you, you know, um, as you're coming up the ranks. And that's a huge thing. And I have so many people to thank for me because I definitely, 
didn't know when I set out what I was doing. I didn't go to business school. I was figuring it out as I went. And to me, it's like business school on the go. It's like I'm constantly learning things and obviously checking in with my sister circle constantly and my personal board of directors as well as like my business board. And it's important to have these people to knock ideas around, people to help you with perspective, people to also support, lift up and and behold your dreams. Um, so those are my, you know, biggest pieces. I think, you know, you have to focus your, your energy because when you do that, you can bear incredible fruit. Um, but only when you focus your energy, can you do that? I love that. I love that. There was so much good stuff there. Um, and I think one of the things that stuck out, stuck out to me and something that really helped me, um, get clear about that focus was just tuning in and listening. And then once I, once I heard it, um, and this is something that I learned from your good friend, Gabby. She she says to just get so clear about your audience, knowing where they live, what they do, what they eat, what they say. And that was really huge for her. And that's something I think everybody has to do is get really clear about that audience because then you can find them. She was saying, um, she was talking about when she wrote her first book, Add More Ink to Your Life, she knew who that audience was and and she could see them so clearly. She actually made me stand up at the conference. She was like, this was my audience. This was who I was writing it for, someone who looked like her. And she was able to see that. And I think when you can see your audience that clearly and have that vision, you're really able to tune in and be able to help them and listen to that that voice of what Gabby calls your ing and just go with that and run with that. So mm -hmm. I think that that's super powerful. So thank you so much for really helping us to understand that. Um, that's really powerful. But getting, getting back to hearing that voice, um, that inner voice, where do you hear your, as Gabby calls it, your ing voice loudest? And how do you remind yourself to follow that? And has that being that tuned in to that inner light within you or your ing or whatever it is that you call it your glow power, have you um, always been tuned into that? Have you always been um, meditating or is that something that you, a practice that you grew in your life? I definitely grew into a more self-reflective practice as I, as I grew up. Um, I was always as a kid um, immersed in prayer and going to church uh, with my grandmother, with my father and had a very, um, you know, sort of, I don't call it God fearing, but definitely God loving um, relationship. And I always heard voices in my head. Like I'm not like a crazy um, type of hearing of voices, but more just like, yeah. you know, things will just always speak to me. There's always whispers about whether or not I should do something. And, you know, and if I would listen to it, I would feel some sort of like, amazing euphoria. And then when I didn't listen, I wouldn't feel so good about myself. And, and so I sort of came to know what that was much later that, um, that intuitive voice, I call a soul flashlight, which is really, you know, what, um, glow power is, uh, is uh, rooted in. Um, I started to develop this, I think as a child, I always had it. And um, I always felt very powerful as a child. I always spoke very, like, you know, candidly about my future and 
was a dreamer and um and then I think at a certain point, I don't know what point that was for me, um, sort of certain aspects of that uh, weren't like shut off, but I think like maybe paused. And um, I think it was because I, I sort of saw that, you know, culturally speaking, um, you know, being creative and like um, somebody who has this mind that wanders is not valued in our culture, although the creative output is. So whatever it is that you do that sparks the incredible idea is not a value, but the idea itself, the outcome is. And so I was like, wow, like there's not really a place for creatives. Like nobody thinks really like me, I'm left-handed and I feel like a little bit alone in that sense. And um I think that it was once I, I mean, definitely high school, being in boarding school and being surrounded by nature, I felt really rooted and connected always. Moving to New York, I think is really when, you know, the idea of meditation became more pervasive, kept showing up in various ways to me. Um, I didn't really need it prior. Like my life was sort of a walking meditation. I was in these beautiful places that were like low stress. I was super connected. So I didn't need anything to give me tether in a sense. And when I came to New York, I was like, wow, okay, this is why people go sit, right? This is why people, you know, take these moments or, you know, 90 minutes and like, you know, move their bodies in, in, um, you know, an, an active movement meditation through yoga, because um, this is a place that is constantly moving. And so I was like, okay, I get that. I'm ready for it. And that's when I started to sort of naturally be guided. It wasn't like I was like, oh, I'm going to go take some classes. I did go to sort of meditation workshop and I felt really out, like outsider, you know, and I just know that you know, divine is in each of us and that you don't really need an intermediary to connect with what's already inside of you. Um, like you don't need somebody to, you know, help you, you know, tap into your own soul GPS. So you have it, you just have to, um, you know, remember that it's there and you have to do what makes you actually feel in connection with it. So whatever, makes you feel sometimes for a lot of people it's not sitting and um i'm really frank about that especially in the mama glow book it's not for everybody to sit still right some people's meditation is you know in kickboxing class or on a soul cycle bike or running you know um so i think it just is whatever works for you and you can't beat yourself up if it's not you know sitting on a meditation pillow with incense and like some beautiful candles lit does not work for everybody. It does work for me. I, I love the vibe of feeling health. Would you actually share your meditation practice with us? Sure. Yeah. I mean, what I do and recommend people to try to do and see how it feels is, um, you know, every day I wake up and in the morning I lie in bed before I wake up. And I was going to ask you to share your morning routine. So this is wonderful. Oh, good. So I lie in bed 
and I start to just count blessings up. You know, I just start to think about what I'm grateful for, all the things that are sweet in my life. I have this beautiful incense from um, from Yemen. It's a resin, actually, and I light that, and it's so, it smells so sweet. So I light that, and so it can fill the room with this smoky sweetness. And um, you know, they say that uh, um, incense is the medium for spirits to breathe in, and so we smoke um, rooms and spaces where we want spirit to feel welcome. And so that's um, a big thing for me too. And it also makes you know the space really fragrant, obviously. So I smoke the room with the uh, with the incense, and 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 then I get up, and it's like I I sit. Uh, at the edge of my bed, um, in the fireplace, there's um, a Buddha, and actually uh, an Indonesian Buddha, and so, and it's like surrounded by all these amazing, beautiful found objects and crystals and peacock feathers and so forth. And that's where I sit, and I have a beautiful little pillow that I sit on that feels cozy for me. And my son sometimes joins me. Oftentimes, I'm up earlier, so. I'm there by myself and that's where I just sit and um and then I stretch too and I move right my body and that's what feels good for me is like kind of you know petitioning like prayers and and uh ask you know asking for things but giving thanks and then moving my body to sort of like let it settle in so you sit and meditate and then you get up and do some yoga after that? Yeah, I get up and do yoga or dance or whatever feels right. Like I, I turn on music always in the morning. That's how we sort of start the day. Always music. That's the first thing my son hears when he gets up. And um, when I go to wake him, I already turn on the music so that there's already a dance party. And so then I'm dancing and then I wake him. My blood is already like a little bit moving. I wake him up and he does some little stretching and then we start the day. After that, it's like the day is full on, right? It's like getting ready for school, whatever. But then at the end of the day, very similarly, it's like a ritual to cap off the day. Um, you know, definitely glow time for myself in the evening, um, putting my son to bed. He has his little ritual of his little prayers that he does. And um, and then I go to bed um, similarly how I, how I started the day where, you know, like, I sort of think about, reflect on what happened to the day and, and what I want to make beautiful tomorrow. And I just dream on it. And I let those be the last kind of thoughts that I have. Because I think that um, so often we're like, you know, thinking about things that like really have no business being in our thought pattern. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, or watching TV. Like I know a lot of people that fall asleep to TV, which is also like, really not awesome for you just think about it like whatever messages are coming through enter your consciousness and superficially right like they enter but then they go really deep right because you're unconscious so that means that things that come in actually can like take root you know these these thoughts and ideas and so whatever you're if you're watching like housewives and you go to sleep to that that's the energy you're marinating in for eight hours, yeah. right? It's like not awesome. So you want to think about what am I listening to as I go to sleep? What am I watching before I go to bed? So if you maybe, if you do like to watch TV and I'm not criticizing anybody's choice for entertainment television, but 
if you do watch TV before, maybe like stopping uh, a few hours ahead, like maybe it's like one or two hours before you turn off all that and like pull out a good book. Maybe there's like an amazing book or something that's intriguing to you right now. If you're focusing on like creating like loving relationships in your life, maybe you get like, you know, a beautiful, um, you know, journal or a book. Um, there's tons of beautiful books about this. I mean, I love this um, Robert Holden book about love. I mean, you can keep something on your bedside that's like really sweet and indulge in that right before you go to bed. So that your last thoughts and the things that you sort of are thinking about as you're ushered into dreamland are beautiful and peaceful and whole and not, you know, sort of like fractioned uh, or, or, um, or uh, about separation or negativity or anything like that. You know, you want to sort of be more in the sort of right-brained connective space as you go to sleep. And that's also going to help you to have more fruitful, uh, pleasant dreaming too. And not thinking, you know, not thinking your way through, through um, sleep. Because a lot of people when they go to bed, um, they're like, their minds are still working. And they don't have restful sleep because they go to bed like trying to solve a problem Versus like allowing themselves to relax so that the solution can just show up. Oh, yes. I love that. Um, and I'll just share my bedtime ritual real quick too while we're – I want to get every last second with Mama Glow. But just while we're talking about it, I think going to bed with that energy of all of the things you need to do or things on your to-do list can be really, really tough. So what I do is I just – I write down – five things that I'm grateful for, three things that I'm excited for tomorrow, and three things that went well today. And I try to go to sleep with that. And I think have that practice has changed my life. So I, I love that everything you said there was just super cool. Um, so powerful, right? It's so it really good to is. acknowledge because then you're, you beget more positivity when you acknowledge that there's positive things in your life already. Yes, yes. And you can create some more of that. It's that's beautiful. Um, okay, well, my next question is probably the one I'm like most excited to ask. <laughs> so you are a Taurus, as am I. And I've heard in lots of um, conversations with you, you talk a lot about being grounded. And I was just listening to a uh, interview with you with Tara Styles, and you were saying oh, you guys were flying trapeze and you were like we as Tauruses need to be grounded and you you talk so much about that and it is something that has been stuck in my mind since the first time I heard you talk about it in an interview with Gabby so in regards to being a Taurus what does that mean for your self-care practices and I don't know too much um, about my sign our sign um, but I would love to know exactly how you incorporate that into your life um, for all the Tauruses and listening and really just me. But um, how does it relate to you and the work you do and any advice for fellow Tauruses? That is so cute. Um, <clears throat> well, I, I definitely think that uh, one of the biggest aspects that I take away from the Zodiac I look at all of these things as tools, right, to better understand, not obviously rules of thumb, but definitely tools for us to understand aspects of ourselves um, and be able to look from the outside in, because obviously we're inside of ourselves and it's hard to, to be able to pick apart the things 
that um, make you strong and the things that um, can weaken you. Um, sometimes it's great to just be able to read something and you're like, wow, that actually sounds like me. That actually yes. resonates, right? And so that's what I've come to, to learn from this practice of astrology. I'm not by any means an expert or know nearly as much as I probably should. But what I would say is um, what I've known about myself all my life is that I like to be rooted. It's a very, and I'm a person that a lot of people attach to because I'm grounded. So, you know, my son is a water sign. He's a cancer. And it's sort of like a beautiful dance because he's water and I'm earth. And so we sort of meet at the shoreline, right? Oh, and I, I get to sort of be his tether to the earth and he gets to pull me into the water too. And so we're just this really beautiful balance that we have of, um, of water and earth. And we're like, so in love. And what I've noticed though, is that, so he really feels, um, feels secure because I feel so secure, right? And my and and I'm always making sure that things around me make me feel that way, right? And if I'm in a situation where I don't feel that, I change my setting or I change my perception around it so I can understand what it is that's happening. And so um, I'm always up for a challenge, um, but I like to sort of notice when I am being stubborn, because that's definitely one of the Taurus qualities that can go good or bad, right? But I am stubborn. I do have, you know, this thing of like not wanting to change and change is inevitable. However, what I know about this is that because I was exposed to a lot of change as a child, my mom moved a lot. And I remember not loving that, you know, and I haven't moved in 10 years. I live in the same apartment because I was like, I'm never going to move when I grow up. And so it's such a, it's such a good thing to know about like habits that I have. What I would say about my self care practice, that's really important. And I think this goes for everybody, no matter where you are, who you are, how old you are, when you were born, we all need to take time for, um, for self-renewal and the self-care practice and what I call glow time allows us to enter these portals of self-renewal. So for me, it's definitely like drawing clear, distinct boundaries with people about my time and when I'm available. Um, I used to never be able to say no. I'm sure you've had issues with this in the past, like everybody else has too, I used to never be able to say no. And I would say yes to everything, even before somebody would complete their sentence, I was already saying yes. And I learned that that can really burn you out and you can get exhausted by taking up other people's energies and taking on other people's um, needs as your own. And then wanting to sort of be the hero and rescue or fulfill their need at the expense of your own well-being, right? And this is something we do as women, and this is a cultural phenomenon that's changing, that's shifting, that I'm definitely trying to help women to um, overthrow, right? That we need to uh, reclaim our queendoms and really be in this practice of glow time. And so when you say no to something, you're really saying yes to yourself. If it's not something that you feel 100% into doing, you should say no. 
And I do it all the time. If I don't feel like it's a clear yes, it's definitely no. Like I don't like mull over and then call somebody. And if I have to have like a whole, you know, tribunal over like, you know, whatever it is that I'm questioning, the answer is no, because it's like, what am I weighing out? Like what other people think? Like if I feel like something's not right, that means the entire thing isn't right. It doesn't mean that it's wrong. It just means it's not right for me in this moment right now. And so I'm going to pass. Right. So whatever that is, I think that there's obviously opportunities for us to step up to the plate and really put on our bootstraps and and go. But there's also times where something doesn't feel good and you know that you shouldn't be doing it, but you feel oh, it's a great opportunity. I don't know. Like you have to trust that God in this infinite wisdom um, will show up with some hotter shit for you. And you just got to know that like the next thing that's going to come is going to be amazing. And if you let this one go, you will have the space to bring the next thing in. So boundaries are very, very, very important. I draw a very strict boundary around my menstrual cycle. When I bleed, it's my time to rest, go to sleep earlier, to dream. We are designed in this time to actually, we're more, um, we are we are really connected with our with the moon, and so the energy around the moon is nocturnal, which means it's our time for our evening meditations, our lunar practices, and sleep, and not being out and you know trying to meet crazy deadlines and rushing around, um, you know, really sort of disrupting our energy and depleting our energy stores, we actually lose a ton of iron during that time. So um, some people become borderline anemic, and which means that you're going to have less energy than most people at that time. So it's really important to just acknowledge what's happening in your body. During that time, I just say no to everything. I have a red line in the calendar. I don't do stuff at night. I rest. I know that I'm better in the daytime. So I'll do things earlier in the day. And then I cut off my day at about two o'clock and then I just rest. I hang out and whatever it is, but I don't make excuses for why I should feel bad about it or, um, or sort of, um, try to overcompensate. I'm just very clear with people like, no, um, this is what I'm done. And then people understand like, wow, she has some boundaries. Like she's really, um, about her thing, you know? And if you start doing that, people start to respect too, because they know they can't just like, you know, pull you in any, any direction they want. So that's a big one. But in that. terms of the practices, you know, I believe in like soaking, you know, getting in the water, putting some, some, um, some oils, maybe a couple herbs in the bathtub with you and soaking, creating a ritual. You can even do some like beautiful cleansing affirmations while you're in the tub. It's a time to tune out, not to like bring your iPad and catch up on like, you know, scandal, but like, you know what I mean? It's a time to just be without that. If you really do need to do something, you can read a book, but I would not do anything that's like electronic in the bathtub for obvious reasons, but also because it's stimulating and you want to be sort of shutting it down. You want to be trying to like, you know, get in sort of a slumber mode and relax your body and your mind. And so I love taking baths. I also really believe in massage, uh, healing touch. And so I have a massage table. I have a massage therapist come here and I just get massage like that. And I also love to go to a specific place for massage, um, you know, when I want to be out 
And sometimes I'll get the massage and then I'll go lay out on the roof if it's summer and allow the sun to just kiss me and just take a nap and swim. You know, you have to do things that make you feel good and not make excuses for why, um, why you deserve them or like, oh, well, I did this. This is my treat. Like you are a treat. You have to believe that, that you're the reason enough. Like no the reason, right? You're the reason yes. enough. So those are my, you know, big things, right? Like you have to do that. And then the other big, big, big piece that we have to not ignore is maintaining your diet. This is a daily glow time practice. What is it that you're putting into your body? Not saying you can't have treats every now and again or whatever, but you have to to talk about food. This is perfect. You have to, we have to eat right. We have to eat glow foods. We have to eat right. That's amazing. That's amazing. I'm so glad that you brought that up. Um, So before we wrap, I want to ask you um, just a couple more questions on food. So going off of that, um, let me give you a little scenario, if I may. (laughs) You ready for it? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's 8 p.m. and um, you've had a long day, you're beat and you're starving, and how do you feed yourself? What do you make slash eat when you come home? What's kind of your go-to nourishing glow food meal for dinner? Okay, that's an easy one because I feel like that's been my life uh, very as um, as of recently. Um, I come back in the house. I love that you've said like what's your go to because your go tos should be already in your house, right? You shouldn't have to like call some place mm-hmm. to order takeout if you're really hungry. You should have the things that are um, that can make up that meal in your house already, right? So we have to keep stocked. Um, with powerful nutritive foods. So I come into the house and um, I would right away go to make a salad. Um, I think that's the easiest thing. It's the quickest. And it's also, um, it just makes me feel really good to have greens. Like, I don't know what, I don't feel good about life if I don't eat greens for a day. Like I've been places where you just can't eat the greens fresh. Everything's cooked to death and, you know, whatever, like you could get some sort of stomach virus. And I'm just going crazy by the end of it because I am so used to having greens, whether they're juiced or they're pressed or whatever they're, whatever form. But I love, love, love um, sauteed cooked greens like kales and mustards and collard greens. And I really, really love um, a salad, like a fierce, you know, kind of spring mix with um, like arugula. And I love Mizuna and all the spicy greens and stuff like that. And I would just throw on like, you know, a little bit of radish. Um, I would toast some pumpkin seeds, which I love um, with a little bit of like a Cajun mix or something. And I put, um, I put hemp seeds on there too. And then I always have dressing ready. Um, I make dressing every single time I have a salad. So what I like to do and what I encourage you to do, because when you buy these dressings from the bottle, they're full of emulsifiers and all this stuff. It's just really not necessary and icky stuff that your grandmother wouldn't even want you to eat. Right. And she definitely wouldn't put in her food. So, so I think that, you know, if you have one day a week where it's a lighter day for you, if that's a Sunday, um, if you're going to go grocery shop, 
you know, do your meal prep that day. So like if you have to cut up some veggies so that it's easier for you later. And even if you're too busy, they do, they have a lot of the vegetables already prepped fresh or frozen. So you can have those things available at your fingertips, but I would do all your sauces. So like, if you want to do salad dressing, like a green goddess dressing or some sort of like vinaigrette um, or lemon and oil, I mean, lemon oil is so easy, but I do like lemon um, olive oil. I put a little bit of the omega oil in there too, which has like the DHA. Um, and then I use, um, like a little truffle salt, maybe a little bit of garlic and, um, um, probably like parsley and salt and pepper and a little bit of mustard. And I just mix it up and, um, I use that to dress my salads. And so if I have leftover, I sometimes try to make a bunch of it so that when I come in, like you said, at 8.30 at night, and I just want a quick salad, I, all I have to do is just put it all together and dress it. And then I'm eating like in, you know, five or 10 minutes. That's really my go-to glow food. Um, I would also say, uh, you know, say I have to run out early in the morning or um, I need a snack sort of like midday. Oh, perfect. I was just going to ask you what your go-to staple breakfast is, how you nourish yourself in the morning. Yes. So my morning nourishment is so on um, the same wavelength. Yeah. I love it. Tourist style. So (laughs) I, um, my morning nourishment, especially, you know, if it's hot out, this is a big one for me, um, is a, a morning smoothie, which I do, um, very often I'll do like acai palm berry with the blueberries. Mm -hmm. And, um, I put a little maca powder in there. Um, you can use coconut water. Sometimes I just use filtered water cause I don't really like sweet smoothies and I mix that up. I blend it. I turn, I take, um, I put a little coconut oil in there actually, uh, raw coconut oil. And then I put, um, I sprinkle it with granola and I eat that fresh. Um, now that it's been hot, I've been doing watermelon juice, um, with, um, lime and ginger. Yeah. So I'll just blend that. And drink that throughout the day, you know, just to kind of keep cool. Um, And then I would definitely say if it's colder, whether I'm a big like hot cereal person. So I love um, quinoa porridge that I make. Me too. That's my favorite. (laughs) Look at us. There we go. (laughs) I love that. Um, So what are some of your favorite healthy things to prepare for your son? You, you said that he loves cooking in the kitchen. Oh, he's like, um, he loves like beans with rice and avocado. He likes avocado toast a lot. Oh my God. It's his favorite. My favorite Um, too. He loves that. He likes bean soups. And he really loves um, like ratatouille. He's very connected with like this whole sort of, um, you know. He's a foodie. He's a big foodie, yeah. But he's really into like anything you have to cut up and stew and, you know, he's into that. So um, ratatouille was like one of the first things that he was like, mom, I want to go make this. I think after the movie, he was like, I want to make ratatouille. I was like, let's make some ratatouille. So he loves making that too. I have a lot of pictures of him cooking and, and he loves making popsicles. Um, I like to make him, I mean, I really just love when I make something and then I look at the colors on the plate and just, he doesn't know how lucky he is yet. And I think when he goes to college or whatever it is that he's going to do, you know, where he's, um, 
in a place where there isn't as good of food. So maybe it's camp or something where and he first experiences that. <laughs> he's going to be like, oh my God, like yeah. I was so lucky that my mom was cooking like this because people are not cooking like this everywhere. So I think, um, you know, I'm just grateful that oh, he loves asparagus and lemon too. That's a big thing for him. I love to just make stuff that I know he loves and I love to make food that I know um, is nourishing for him. I mean, it's one thing to um, to just go to a takeout and then give your kids food and, you know, they're fed, but it's one thing to know that um, it's a totally different thing to know they're nourished and know that also, you know, the food that you're putting into these little people's bodies is becoming their blood and their thoughts and their actions. And so we have to just be cognizant of the fact that, what we're eating isn't in isolation with any, it's like in total conjunction with everything else that's happening in our bodies. Like it becomes a part of us. So we can't separate what we're eating from the outcome of what we eat. So if you're eating Skittles for breakfast, guess what? You're not going to do so great on your test. And guess what? You might be in a shitty mood for the day. So like we have to think about, you know, what, what we eat has, what the effects of what we eat has on our lives overall, but not just our personal lives, our lives as a society. So I think that, you know, each of us has a responsibility to be that beacon of light, to shine your glow power in whatever way possible to enlighten other people, not through telling them, but showing them through your own actions. You can elevate other people by being yourself and being um, in a place of just you know, reveling, revelry in your life and loving your life and sharing that with other people by example. That's how we change the world, right? Through love and through embracing who we are fully. And I think that's what's really going to help change the face of food in this country too. It's not just like the battling back and forth and, you know, changing policy. That's huge too. It's about us changing ourselves. Like each of us taking a stand to change ourselves and helping to change the way other people think through our actions. Mm, that is good. You are amazing. Um, oh my God, okay. Well, I just have one more big question for you. Then I want to do a couple quick fire questions. So the last thing I want to ask you is just really, you do so much radical, amazing stuff. You are this amazing person. So how do you do it? How do you stay organized and show up fully for each part of your life? And maybe you could give us some practical tips on staying present, but during your day, getting so much done and staying focused. Well, I think, first of all, that's very sweet to think that I'm organized. I have a totally different experience. Um, I don't feel organized. Um, I feel like there is some sort of level of organization overall to the chaos. Um, but what I would say is um, I just don't beat myself up for my methods. Like I see people who do things in a totally different way, who operate totally differently and are highly functional. And I just can't try to be them. And I just can't try to, I just can't excuse how I am and try to say, well, I'm not good enough because, right? I just have to trust that the way that I, um, that I do things is, you know, good for me at this time and, um, and try to incorporate things that work and see if they're effective. And if they're not, like I throw them aside, but I take the lesson um, for me, I'd say like to do it all, 
I think it's one of those things like when you're throwing a bunch of things, it's like if somebody's throwing you balls, you start to juggle them and then you see what happens. And sometimes something falls and, you know, and sometimes you have to put more attention to one thing than another. And then you pick back up. And I think it's just, it, I think for people looking from the outside in, everything always looks like it's highly functional and perfect. And you know what I mean? Because you just don't know. You only see like when somebody's speaking or what, yeah. you know, you don't get to see like the ins and outs and like, you know, what they struggle with or what their challenges are or like their triumphs really even. You just hear about what you hear about. And um, I would say that like, every, I think everybody has, you know, their strengths and weaknesses. For me, you know, I, time management is always still a, a thing that I, um, that I definitely have challenge with, you know, it's like, there's never enough hours in a day. And then some days there are, and I'm like, so grateful. I feel ahead. And then the next day I'm like, Oh my God, how do I have 5,000 emails? You know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, you never, you never stop. And the beauty of never stopping is that you never reach a place where you're like, okay, cool. I'm done. You know what I mean? Cause you never want to get to that. You just always want to be working towards a space of, um, of constantly, you know, growing and, um, and honing right and so that's really what I think it's all about um yeah like there's no destination and that gosh it's like I feel like a weight has been lifted off my shoulders just you know there there is no there you're just you're constantly moving and and that's oh that's just beautiful what a wonderful you know I mean I want to say this because I feel like everybody thinks oh I have to be in balance and balance and balance and balance like even balance is off balance, right? It's like, even when things are in balance, you see yin and yang, it's always moving. It's like, that's why it looks the way it does. Cause it's swirling. It's also supposed to indicate that there's movement in that, even in that sign itself, right? There's movement. It's a wave, right? And so when we're thinking about this, um, this idea of balance, you have to think about, well, things are being thrown at me that throw me off balance. And then I find my way back to balance by doing, you know, the opposite things, right? So it's like, even with your diet, when you're looking at cravings, there's nothing wrong with cravings. It's actually throwing us back into balance. We're making our body recognize, oh, wow, I'm devoid of this nutrient, or I need this or a little bit of that. Or maybe it's something more you know, outside of what I need physically, but like emotionally, I need this or that. It just throws you to the opposite direction, like a pendulum, right? So it's never still, it's always moving. So we have to think about, you know, our evolution happens through movement, not through stillness, and that there's nothing ever still. So nothing will ever be done. Like you'll always be constantly working and growing and know that even if today you do something, you feel like, oh, I'm behind or I'm off or that didn't work the way I wanted it to, that always you have tomorrow and you have the next moment to correct it. And so it's never about like something that you did wrong. It's always about what did you learn from what, what went down and how can you use that to apply to your next step? Right. So that's another thing I want to make sure, because I think people feel like somehow they're inadequate if they can't like balance. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Gosh, you are on point today. Thank you so, so much. Um, is it cool if we just wrap with a couple quick fire questions? Sure. Okay, cool. So favorite color, just say the first thing that comes to your mind. Pink. Love it. Favorite yoga pose. 
um, pigeon. Nice. Favorite day of the week? Oh, that's a nice one. Um, it's a tie between Friday and Sunday. <laughs> Friday. <laughs> Friday. Favorite hour of the day? Mm. Depends on the time of the month. <laughs> it depends on the time of the month. I'm going to say, oh, I'm going to say noon, I think. Ooh, right in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, how about favorite movie? Favorite movie? Um, the Battle of Algiers. Favorite song? Um, twinkle, twinkle, little star. I love it. Um, okay, favorite summertime vegetable and how to prepare it? Uh, patty pan squash, and I would say grilled in the summertime. Yum. Juice or smoothie? Green juice. Avocado or tahini? Avocado. Lemon or lime? Ooh, I love both. Okay, both. <laughs> Hemp seeds or chia seeds, if you had to choose? Ah, uh, jeez. Chia, I guess. <laughs> um, okay, and then, what? A, now this question is totally for you because I heard you say once in an interview, you talked about this seaweed sandwich, and I was just in New York, and I want to know your favorite New York City meal. Mm. If it's still the seaweed sandwich, or is that just when you were pregnant? <laughs> that was definitely when I was pregnant. Um, I would say my favorite New York City meal. <sighs> this is a tough one. I definitely would say that I love... Okay. All right. At ABC Kitchen, Jean-Georges, inside of ABC Carpet and Home, there is, in the fall... They do a little crostini with like this squash and um, then they have like a lentil soup and they have these uh, roasted cauliflower. So I do that. I do that like vegan like that. Yum. Um, which is my favorite meal. And that's like in the fall. In the summer, because I got to do two. No. Um, in the summer, I would say pure food and wine. Ugh. Um, the best, right? Yeah, I, I wish you were there. Pure wine. I love their little croquettes with the um, and the with it's like a croquette and rocket salad or something they call it on the um, patio, right? It's like the patio, yeah, just perfect to me. That's like the best, and with like a nice little um smoothie or 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 something after, you know, like that's the best. Yeah. Okay, I'm manifesting us. Being there on the patio, having a meal together someday. Done. So Done. On my vision board. Done. Oh, my gosh. Amazing. <laughs> okay. Um, thing that you would bring on a deserted island with you? Mm. Deserted island. I would bring the Hue chocolate 
which is <gasps> yeah, aside from music, aside from music, but the Hugh Chocolate, which is um, H-U, it's Hugh Kitchen. I was just there. This... It was so good. Oh, my God. Did you try the yes. chocolate with the quinoa and the almond butter? No, I didn't get that. Girl, I'm here I to tell out. you. I need to come It back. is. It's incredible. First of all, they sell it in the Whole Foods now, so you can get it at Whole Foods. Oh, or you nice. can order it. It is the single mode. Like, I died when I had, I just, it was the best thing. And I'm not even, like, I like chocolate, but I don't have to have it, yeah. like, that okay, frequently. Right. And when I eat it, it's like, it lasts, like, a month in the freeze. Like, I keep it in the fridge, and it just lasts, because I'll just take a tiny piece. That chocolate did not last, like, 30 <laughs> minutes. Like, not even 30 minutes. Like, I ate the whole thing. And I was like, how am I done with this piece of crazy so i would take that with oh me I, started, I, I love that i can't believe that i didn't get that while i was there well now i'm, I'm gonna have to order it for sure because i've now i've got to try it oh my gosh that's amazing i love that okay um what is your favorite beauty ritual or routine um i love to do part of my glow time is to do a little home facial um, I love Tata Harper skincare products. I don't know if you're familiar, but she's amazing. She makes all of the products, um, you know, in her farm in Vermont and, and a lot of the stuff is grown there or we'll it comes put the link like below. This. They're amazing. Amazing Tata Harper. So I use her entire line, um, for my glowing skin. Um, I do for my daily routine, um, her face wash, her toner and her, um, rejuvenation. Um, she's a lotion and a serum. I use those and a little face oil, but, um, when I'm trying to really just like indulge, I do her mask too. So I'll, um, and now that it's hot, it's like really nice to do a mask and then like jump in a kind of lukewarm shower and take it off and then like let the sun hit my skin again later. Um, so I, that's my favorite thing to do like her facials and like, you know, do my nails and that kind of thing on a, um, on a lazy Sunday. Mm, I love that. Okay. Last one. Where do you see holistic health, wellness, and nutrition going in 10 years versus where you would like to see them? I see this field actually expanding so rapidly, exponentially from what it is now I've seen what it's done in the past 10 years, and that's been exponential growth. But I see it becoming even more of a huge deal so that this industry probably will um, end up, I hope, end up, um, you know, obliterating a lot of what's happening in um, the food um, system in terms of the uh the food corporations and what they're doing um, to market to us and our children. I hope to see a complete shift when people really start to take charge of their health. Um, I see that, you know, working with health practitioners, um, nutritionists and health coaches and, and uh, yoga and Pilates and all these kinds of people. Um, I see that that hopefully will be covered by insurance and that people yes. be able to have their own and be part of support groups that help them to get healthy. And, um, and then I really see like also what I would love to see is people who choose this career and focus 
that have a passion for it really thrive, like really make money and really be able to support themselves and not be living paycheck to paycheck, but like really thriving because they're doing a valuable service in the world. Like they're offering a valuable, important service, not just through their knowledge, but their love and their attention and their, their um, real devotion to helping people and passion to help people. I really want to see people properly compensated for that because we don't see that now. We see people yes. undercharging for their services. We see people getting taken advantage of for what they have to offer and not knowing how to properly price and all that. I really want to see in this next wave, like these people become the new rock stars, like how the doctors were like the hot thing and making money. I want to see these people who are really transforming the face of health, make some money and really be able to support themselves and live the lives that they deserve. Yes. I'm literally like fist pumping right now. (laughs) I just, can it just be that way now? Like, I, I love that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, this has been absolutely amazing. I am so, so inspired. And I know I said that was the last question, but just one more thing to wrap with. Um, what are you fearful of or excited about that you're challenging yourself with now? And, and what's kind of next for you? Just kind of as we wrap and tell people where to find you. Cool. Well, I'm definitely excited for the next phase of Mama Glow and what we're up to with... Um, products so stay tuned for that um it's super exciting um it's also the unknown so it's also something that i'm you know like not scared of but definitely um you know i don't know anything so we're just seeing how it goes uh definitely excited for um my new series with the scripts networks Uh, that's the home of hgtv diy food network travel channel etc and we have a show called Om On The Go, which is a lifestyle series where we interview different luminaries and find out where they find their inner peace. And that actual clip that you saw with Tara Stiles was a little bit of um, sort of footage from our day together that we spent on the trapeze. So you'll be able to find me doing all kinds of fun activities um, that are cool throughout the city, but also talking to people outside of a traditional um, interviewing format. So we won't be on a couch asking questions. We'll be on a trapeze or in a yoga hammock or, you know, um, uh, cycling or maybe even um, paddleboarding. So really cool things to come with that that I hope you guys check out. Um, so you just want to, you know, go to momglow.com for more info and things. Yes, but and we'll have yeah. links galore below. Awesome. Um, But gosh, thank you so much. This was amazing. I can't wait for all of those exciting things that you have ahead. I am so grateful that you coming to Wonderland was a hell yes instead of what like we were talking about before with having to consult a tribunal. I just feel so much gratitude for you for coming here and then for all the inspiration that you've given me um, so far and many much, much more to come. So Thank you so much for being here, Latham, and everyone for listening. Thank you so much for having me. God bless you and your beautiful blog and your podcast. I hope that it continues to reach 
many people who need it and those who have yet to discover it because you're also really shining in your glow power and doing powerful work in the world. So God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. Bye.